Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, weekday mornings at 6 a.m. on London DAB Digital Radio and on demand via the Bloomberg Business app and BloombergRadio.com. A change of government here in the UK, new Prime Minister. I wonder whether you were watching what was happening on Downing Street yesterday uh, and, of course, the Cabinet meeting this morning. It's certainly been a big 24 hours in the UK, not least starting with that change of uh, system whereby she flew to Balmoral to be appointed formally by the Queen. But we have our best Bloomberg voices this morning joining us. We have UK political editor Kitty Donaldson, senior economist Dan Hansen, and our senior executive editor for EMEA, David Merritt, all here. Thank you so much, everyone, for, for joining us. Let's jump in and bring in David. Good morning. Thanks yes, so much for being with us. So I think that first impression, I mean, Liz Truss is, is well known. Obviously, she's been a minister for a long time. But that first impression mm. as prime minister is really vital. Well, all that, that symbolism is, is really important, isn't it? In these big moments, the, the theatre of arriving in Downing Street. And, you know, hard not to comment on the symbolism of the weather. We love yes. the weather, don't we, in Britain? <laughs> uh, or commenting that the, the heavens opened. They put a bin bag at one point over the podium before she came out. But, the, you know, the, the rain stopped for a bit while she managed to, to make her first speech. It was very short. Mm-hmm. Um, a strangely sort of magpie's quality to it. She kind of quoted without actually referencing um, David Cameron with this phrase, aspiration nations. He made a sort of an oblique reference to Churchill, yes. um, but kept things very broad. Uh, did pledge that she's going to be there to help with things like the energy crisis. Um, and then marched inside with her husband, who up to now as well has been a little bit in the shadows. We haven't really seen much of him. And straight through the black door and and, and on to work. So there wasn't much substance mm-hmm. in the speech. Um, I'm sure that was deliberate. She had to go straight in and to get these cabinet announcements out, much of which have been trailed already, of course. Yeah. That happened well into the evening last night. And there'll be more of that, no doubt today but the main thing everyone's now going to be waiting for are the details of the plans the biggest one of which of course is this um, bailout of people's energy bills and companies and if the reports are correct the bill for this is really off the charts we're talking about the sort of money that dwarfs the furlough scheme that everyone thought was a sort of once in a lifetime spending splurge to keep the economy going well this is looking um, many times that amount potentially so a lot of uh, debate on that to come how Mm. feasible is it? Um, can yeah. she get this through Parliament? And will it work? OK, so I notice also brilliant Britain was the quote that I took away from that four minute speech <laughs> that she gave. So brilliant yeah. Britain, perhaps That's replacing boosterism. Um, let's get to Kitty Donaldson. Uh, of course, you spend so much time in Parliament. You have your ear to the ground. You know many of these people so well. What do you think um, the first impression was then for the country at large of Liz Truss, our third female leader, you know, uh, conservative leader? Um, you know, very, very fascinating what she did in that first speech. Tell us your view, Kitty. Hi there. Yes, um, 
it was quite an interesting moment. I was actually in the street yesterday, dodging the rain clouds and trying to watch her. Um, and I was struck actually because you know Steve Bray, the protester. They tried to silence him, but they haven't quite succeeded. <laughs> yes. And I was standing in Downing Street, and all I could hear, I could half half hear what uh, Liz Truss was saying, and I could half hear. Steve Bray pay, playing the Benny Hill theme tune and it, it was a kind of it was a little bit of a sort of a sort of metaphor klaxon hung over my head and and I think she's got a she's got a work cut out because this thing that she's she had during the campaign uh, she, people think she's a little bit weird and partly she's got to battle that um she's she I mean she's fine for now let's let's be honest she's you know first in a new job new cabinet they're all her supporters but we're heading towards some of the biggest crises in the last, you know, few years. We've got this big energy announcement tomorrow. Probably have a kind of mini budget next week. But don't forget, she's not included mm. any of Rishi Sunak's supporters. She's not included Rishi Sunak himself in the in her new cabinet. And she didn't win over all the parliamentary party. And so when she comes to doing big ideas, getting big ideas through Parliament, she might not have the support that she needs. And that's going to be really interesting in the coming months, watching those rebellions rise and fall i mean every every prime minister gets a honeymoon period so i'm not saying that her energy plan won't go through of course not i, I suspect it will but as we get closer okay. towards the election I, I think people will be thinking about their own seats rather than the parliamentary party as a whole okay let's have a listen to a little bit of that first speech then a bit weird kitty donaldson's view um i think uh, pretty interesting but that first no, speech no. <laughs> as prime minister from downing street i have a bold plan to grow the economy through tax cuts and reform. I will cut taxes to reward hard work and boost business-led growth and investment. I will drive reform in my mission to get the United Kingdom working, building and growing. So I think it's a good moment to bring in Dan Hansen, the uh, our, our senior economist. And I'm interested to hear how you think she squares these two ideas, that this sort of huge bailout programme, huge money flowing into the economy but at the same time deregulating cutting taxes are we still in the sort of have your cake and eat it territory yeah so i I, i'd separate them out so i think about the energy bailout as one thing and i think about the taxes and the deregulation in in another sense and i think on the on the energy side i mean everyone's used the word crisis here every single one of you have said the word crisis and we are in a crisis and we we need the sort of size of the the bailout that she's talking about the crisis is fitting of that amount of money it is that it is that serious so as david said you know you're talking about pandemic style intervention now the hope is similar to the pandemic that this leads to a one-off shift if it's financed through government borrowing we mm. get a one-off shift in the debt level that similar to as i say what happened in the pandemic that she then can attempt to pay down into the future the problem i think people have with it the plan is this set of unfunded tax cuts as well so you're you're doing this temporary bailout now and then you're doing a series of unfunded tax cuts whereas the Rishi Sunak plan was big bailout and then we'll think about clawing the money back later and that's what markets like they like a plan for this money to come back and you get to a sustainable fiscal position and just to top it all off in the UK the thing that we have that worries investors on top of the fiscal deficit is the current account deficit yeah ex-Bank of England, Governor Mark Carney, very famous phrase, the kindness of strangers. We borrow from the rest of the world. So you get this toxic mix, potentially, of falling sterling, rising guilt yields, where there's a premier on borrowing. And that's where, that's essentially what is spooking markets about what she's saying. And what is it, 25 to 30% held by overseas investors of guilt? It's something in, something something in that, in that region. And we, had some, we had some data out from the Bank of England that showed that 
overseas investor holdings of gilts of overseas investors has fallen it is volatile data series but that's just something that has given a slight indication that there may be some sense that I wouldn't say investors are turning their back on the UK, but there's going to be a risk premium attached yeah. to the UK. That means that essentially the government pays more to borrow and sterling is weaker. OK, well, Kwasi Kwarteng, um, the Chancellor, is you know doing the rounds in the city, meeting people we, uh, we hear uh, to kind of talk to them about that. So that kind of relationship will be pretty important. David Merritt, I want to come to you on the Cabinet then. Mm. Um, greater diversity, lots of loyalists, plenty of controversies, though. I mean, Jacob, Jacob Rees-Mogg, for example, example, um, the energy brief, but something of a climate sceptic, the Northern Ireland secretary, not perhaps seen as a neutral arbiter. I mean, there, there are some controversies in these names, are there? That's right. Yes. And, you know, diversity has many metrics, of yes. course. And, you know, it is obviously notable that we have no white men in the, in the four big jobs for the first time in history. And that's a real landmark moment for, for racial diversity and gender diversity in, in politics in Britain. But as has been mentioned, um, all of the, um, the Sunak supporters are out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when she said before she took over that she was going to, I think she used that, that phrase about a, a, a cabinet or a, a government of all the talents. Well, um, just as long as you voted for her or the, you, support, you supported but her. But the problem the is campaign. not that many of the Conservative MPs actually did vote for her. Well, that's right. Her. Only um, a minority initially as well came out, came out to support her. Um, and of course, you know, by numbers, only a minority of Tory party members in the country at whole have voted for her as well. So she doesn't have that enormous mandate that she potentially would have wanted. And some, you know, some of the big beasts who were lining up behind Sunak are out. Uh, people with, who've had long careers and have been very influential, people like Michael Gove. Mm. Um, I, and he, he was initially obviously supporting uh, Kemi Bajnot, but he was not supporting Truss. Um, uh, Dominic Raab, for instance, you know, these people are going back to the back benches. Um, let's see how they're pledging their support, of course. You know, Kitty mentioned the honeymoon that every prime minister has. How long will that last when these very divergent views, you know, as Dan is talking about, you know, Rishi Sunak's plan for the economy was very, very different to what Liz Truss is putting forward. Michael Gove has said he's not even sure if he's going to be able to support a budget um, from uh, a trust administration. That's fairly remarkable for someone who was so senior in government as he was. I mean, there are some ominous forebears, as you sort of intimate, likes of Gordon Brown and, and Theresa May, who were not elected and proved to be not popular and ultimately maybe had some difficulty leading their party. Uh, Kitty, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, will she be able to lead the Parliamentary Conservative Party? I mean, that's that's the live question at the moment, isn't it? And... Um... We'll see. I, I think we'll get some some fairly favourable pictures out of cabinet this morning. And actually, the big the bigger test is is lunchtime at, at prime minister's questions because that's the kind of that's the moment when you need to rally the troops. That's the moment. You know, that's when uh, Tory MPs want to feel good about themselves. And so I suspect there's someone somewhere in Downing Street scribbling some jokes right now, trying to and <laughs> trying to get Liz Truss to practice them so that. You know, when it comes to Keir Starmer, she's been quite rude about Keir Starmer, actually calling him boring, saying she didn't want to be stuck in a lift with him and stuff. And she just needs to land a few, a couple of killer blows, I think, to enough to cheer, cheer up, cheer up the Tories this lunchtime. 
Yeah, and and of course this is the image that British politics is so famous for, isn't it? At the dispatch box with the paper waving, we used to be paper waving, perhaps not so much now, just cheering and jeering MPs in the background. I mean, do we think that there's going to be more on policy given the emergency state that we're kind of in in the UK rather than there was quite a lot of personality between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, very different individuals? I mean, will that be at play? Is it is it people or policy, Kitty? I think today it's people um, and probably some will ask a, a specific question about the energy uh, policy they're announcing tomorrow. And I doubt she'll give an answer. She'll say something like, we'll announce it tomorrow. I mean, her deputy, Therese Coffey, has been on the radio and the, the airwaves all morning saying, I'm not talking about it. Um, you know, she was asked, asked, you know, is this coming from borrowing? And, and she just won't talk about it. So today is the kind of day to for, for Liz Truss to sort of entrench herself in, in Parliament and prove that she's in charge and then tomorrow we go to the to the policy stuff um i i i don't suspect she's also quite cautious liz trust she thinks about things she talks quite slowly hmm. um and i think that's kind of her way of sort of weighing things up and the kind of impact that um she's going to have by saying something she's not like johnson at all not like boris johnson Boris Johnson was very good at these occasions. He's, you know, he had all these kind of those put downs, and he's naturally witty. I don't think Liz Truss is naturally witty in the same way. So it'll be interesting to see how she fares this afternoon. Yes, perhaps that. Therefore, that kind of debating, combative, um, crowd-pleasing kind of style of politics that we have, it, it might be quite tricky in some ways. Who knows? Um, look, our, our last guest in the last hour was also a really interesting voice that I want to bring to listeners. The City UK CEO Miles Selick um, saying that. Uh, it could be the UK's return to the 1980s this time. Have a listen to this soundbite. You know, this feels like quite a Reagan moment, potentially, for the UK. A sense of optimism. Uh, you know, she's got this all sort of doomsters, gloomsters, uh, uh, bias against people of, of that sort of approach as Boris did. But, you know, does this mean low taxes and high borrowing uh, in order to support spending? Well, so there you have it. I mean, there are a lot, you know, the comparisons abound and perhaps Liz Truss created some of them, the comparisons to, to, to Thatcher, of course. Is Liz Truss Thatcher 2.0? How do you see things, Dan? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I mean, I think... <laughs> well, I'm talking I don't, I don't, economic policy. Yeah, I mean, in terms of economic policy, I mean, we know that she she admires Thatcher. Yes. We know that. And it's it's very, very clear. So... Is she Thatcher 2.0? Remains to be seen. I mean, they both inherited economies, I don't want to say on their knees. The 70s was, well, there were some, we know there are some likenesses with the 70s and today. And we inherit, you know, there are high inflation, strikes, you know, all these things. There are these similarities. So, but the challenges are also very different. I mean, the energy crisis is a different beast. Um, And I think that's the first port of call and if you know if she can if she can navigate her way through that she'll have done very very well because it is it is very difficult it's there are no easy answers to it um and i think that's that's the one that she really needs to nail I mean, clearly, when Thatcher was in power, we had uh, Nigel Lawson sort of steadying the yes. uh, economic ship for much of it. And quasi Quarting, clearly she has a deep background with him, having written a book with him. But how much do we really know about the way he thinks about the economy? Like, what kind of chancellor do we think he's like to be, David? Yeah, I and mean, you know, in the in British politics, as we know, is defined by this relationship, the Chancellor and the Prime Minister. We know they're very, very close. You know, we think they're, they're very aligned to what they want to do. As you said, they mentioned they, they co-authored this book 
Britannia Unchained a while ago. So you can expect them to really, you know, any, those stories that we were used to with, say, Brown and Blair, um, or even recently Sunak and Johnson of tensions between the Treasury and Number 10, we can expect them to be in sync on this. And it is this broad brush approach of slashing taxes and regulation. You know, I think it's it's interesting thinking about the City of London as yes. well. You know, uh, many people, our reporters have been talking to lots of people in the city in recent in the recent days, and there is a bit more optimism. You know, everyone assumed Sunak was their guy, you know, the former a Goldman boy. Actually, um, she's referred to the city in the last few days as the jewel in the crown of the British economy. That hasn't been said for quite some time. Johnson pretty much ignored the city. Um, and maybe now is the time, there's a, there's a feeling among some people here in around, around where we're sitting in the square mile, that you know some of these um, deregulatory moves post-Brexit mm-hmm. might actually come to pass and they might be able to sort of seize the opportunities, if you see it that way, of Brexit, which have so far um, have eluded them. I think that's such an interesting point. Uh, let's just go to Kitty Donaldson. Um, we've got a few more minutes, but Kitty, your view on international relations, because one of the first things that Kitty Don- uh, that um, the new prime minister did was to speak to um, uh, foreign leaders, Ukraine and Biden. There's the issue of Northern Ireland. I mean, global relations for the UK now? Absolutely. Um, and yes, um, and it's traditional, I think, for the for the UK Prime Minister to try and speak to the US President as one of the first calls. It's sort of deemed one of those tick box exercises to, to show that you're, you know, you mean business. Um, but actually, the Biden call was very interesting because the White House emphasised that what they talked about was the Northern Ireland Protocol and whether or mm. not, uh, and protecting the Good Friday Peace Agreement. And actually, there's a bit of briefing around this morning that um, that um, Trust will ask for an extension on um, replying to the EU on on all this legal legalese that you know they're bat- bartering over at the moment. And and that's quite interesting because it shows that she's she doesn't want the confrontation straight away, and she's probably going to go to the US in the next few weeks. I mean, the United Nations General Assembly at the end of the month, which the Prime Minister generally at, uh, or habitually attends. Um, so if she goes to the US, she doesn't want her first month in office to be um, not sidetracked, but sort of blown up, I suppose, by the by the by triggering Article 16 and by all the kind of mess that that entails. So I think it's interesting that she sidestepped this one. And of course, she spoke to President Zelensky as well. And, and that's yes. I mean, that's good for me from a UK US relationship, because the US wants uh, sees the UK as one of its best allies uh, in Europe on Ukraine, and um, and I think Ukraine is still popular. I think the polling shows that the British public still supports the war in Ukraine. I mean that that is an interesting point whether that will shift over the winter. You know, will people start calling for? a peace with Russia because of the energy crisis. I think that's the one ar- of the kind of the big things that's going to be in her entry. The irony is, of course, that you'd think that Liz Truss, having been the foreign secretary, that that might be one of her strong suits. But she hasn't been short of her own faux pas in that space. Clearly, there was a bit of a gaffe when it came to referring to when she was asked whether Macron was a friend or foe. David, I mean, how do you think, does she, do you think she has to do a lot of repair work, particularly in Europe? Uh, and does she have the kind of has she burned her bridges too much? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think she said a few things, didn't she, in the campaign, which which raised some eyebrows. Um, whether whether it's the French, the Scottish, um, uh, you know, across the European Union, I you know, I, I think Macron put out a statement saying that you know France is a friend of Britain, directly referencing that. Um, Ursula von der Leyen um, from the European Commission put out statements saying congratulations. 
but we hope the UK adheres to its commitments, you know, referring there to the Northern Ireland protocol. Often Is she about to, 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 to rip up that agreement and, and, and provoke a confrontation with the EU? We're, we're going to have to wait and see. It might be a useful diversion, perhaps, from mm. some of the other things going on. But clearly, there's a competitive style there that she's going to um, take. She, she made a lot in the campaign about standing up or calling out, I think, her phrase, calling out Putin. Um, and is it going to wind people up or will people just look at it as her speaking to her domestic audience, which it it, it very much is. And others also reported on, you know, that perhaps it was simply a gaffe that she had, that, that, you know, under lots of intensive questioning from journalists, and that was sort of seen as perhaps, you know, um, being fresh to the leadership. Dan, um, on this um, idea around consumer confidence in Britain. I mean, we've seen for months now consumer confidence absolutely plunged. The economic data is very weak. We're anticipating a recession. Um, Going back to the big money that could be shoveled towards consumers in just a few weeks' time, Mm. is there a bull case for Britain? I mean, we've been very doom and gloom. And I just want to flip things around and say, is there actually a case for, you know, Positivity. If Liz Trust manages to freeze people's energy bills, does that really kind of boost the UK economy or are the issues too great, Dan Hansen? I think the economy will avoid a recession if she does what she says she's going to do. It's, it, it's so big, the package that she's talking about. I bigger think, than the NHS budget. I mean, that's 190 think, billion. If it's 200 billion, that would be bigger than the budget for health and social care. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if you think about it, come, come April... Um, at least on our forecast, the price cap was going to be at about £6,000 so annually. So every month, the average consumer will be paying about 500 quid. Now we're going to be paying about 200 So you can have £300 in your bank account extra that you wouldn't have had before. That's a lot of every month. That's a lot of money. Plus the anxiety of whether the bills are going to continue rising. Well, that's that's the other. That's a really important point as well, and it sort of feeds into sort of thinking about the Bank of England as yes. well. But there's there's more certainty well, ab- about the inflation outlook because we aren't constantly trying to guess what the price gap is going to be in the next three months. We know it's going to be set at a level for the next 18 months. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Bank of England, because I did just want to ask that. Perhaps one final question, not with a huge amount of time left here. There have been some reassurances that the government isn't looking to roll back the Bank of England's independence, but it's assumed that Trust will carry through her pledge to revisit its remit. What sort of changes do you think would be an improvement? That's a really good question as well. I mean, I think I think the the fact that Quarting came out and Trust has come out and really got behind independent the Bank of England's independence, I think that's been really important. And actually, going back to the, a couple of questions earlier, where you see you, where we've been talking about sort of confidence in the city sort of slightly changing a little bit. I think that was a big part of it as well, sort of just saying, look, we're going to keep the Bank of England independent. I mean, what could they do at this point that could really help things for the Bank of England? I'm not sure there is, there's there's no silver bullet at the moment. I think the best thing they could actually do is do very little, because the more uncertainty you create around the Bank of England, the more uncertainty you create about inflation. And that's just the worst thing you could possibly do when inflation's in double digits. You just want people to have confidence, as much confidence as they possibly can, in that 2% target. So the idea that you would shift to sort of nominal GDP targeting, that's something that we've heard from them, or money supply targeting, that just isn't the right thing to do in the current environment. Yes, review the remit, but do it at a later date, potentially when inflation's much lower, and you can have a proper conversation about, about what the bank the bank's strategy should be sort of further ahead. Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, weekday mornings at 6am on London DAB Digital Radio and on demand via the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.